Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com. And you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast. Now, on to the show. I first met Anne-Marie Oman when I started the MFA in writing program at Goddard College. She was finishing that semester as I began. I've followed her over the years as her writing appeared in impressive places. And as a fellow Michigander, I was so inspired by her stories of life in the Northern Midwest. I'm delighted that we are now friends and sit on the board of Michigan Writers together. Anne-Marie Oman won AWP's Sue William Silverman Nonfiction Award for As Long As I Know You, The Mom Book, which was published by University of Georgia Press. She edited Elemental, a collection of Michigan nonfiction, authored The Lake Michigan Mermaid, Pulling Down the Barn, and House of Fields, all of which were Michigan notable books. She has also written American Map Essays, a collection of poetry called Uncoded Woman, and Love, Sex, and 4-H, which won the Next Generation Indie Award for Memoir. She has also written seven plays, including the award-winning Secrets of Loose Talk Tavern. She teaches poetry and nonfiction at Solstice MFA at LaSalle University and Interlochen College of Creative Arts. Anne-Marie, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. And I just, I'm just, it's an honor to be here. And I am really appreciative of your interest and your support. And I love your podcast. I've been listening in tidbits. I just listened to uh, Camille Pagans. Is that how you say her last name? Uh And I found it fascinating. And so thank you for this work. I think it's really helpful to writers. Oh, thanks so much. I, I really have fun. And frankly, it's it's indulgent for me because I get to talk with amazing writers and, you know, ask all these probing questions and learn how they do all the beautiful things they do. And so it's a it's a guilty pleasure and I'm really grateful. So thank I, you for being I here. I think you have such a positive attitude that you know, <laughs> it's inevitable that it would be good. <laughs> thank you, Anne-Marie. I appreciate it. Well, let's focus on you. And so um, I want to start by asking you to tell me about your earliest memory of writing. So have you always written and and what has it brought you uh, throughout your life? Oh, such a such a lovely question to start out with that. I was always interested in language. I you know, I think I've said in the past that my family were Catholics and so I had a hev- heavy dose of biblical literature. Mm-hmm. I was perhaps different from other children learning that stuff in that I really loved the Old Testament. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I loved all those stories, Moses and Noah, and Uh all of those stories just fascinated me. 
And the other part of my childhood literature was, believe it or not, Grimm's and Anderson fairy tales. Okay. Pretty grim. So early on, I had all this influence. And and this is in a farm family. So having those were the two literatures that were sort of acceptable. Mm -hmm. My mother didn't buy children's books. She didn't use the library a lot. Mm. And so that was kind of this impulse for literature that was beyond me, even Mm -hmm. as a little girl and Mm -hmm. the metaphorical values and the sort of suspense, Mm -hmm. the narratives that weren't always happy endings. Yeah. The sense of justice and injustice operating Mm -hmm. in, in those kinds of things, metaphors, all of that were playing in. So I was intrigued at a very young age with the mystery of language Mm -hmm. and how it all worked. Mm -hmm. But the first, this is From the sublime to the ridiculous, (laughs) the very first time I made an attempt was when I was about 11 or 12 years old. My mother, who knew, I think, early on that I was not going to fit into the farm life, but she didn't know what to do about it. (laughs) And and she she gave me a subscription to the American Girl magazine, which is a really, really blonde magazine. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> but in that magazine, there were columns, subscribers, young girls had written little stories, vignettes, mm. poems, and sent them in. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the only part of the magazine that I was fascinated with, because all of a sudden there was this consciousness that, oh, it's not just about reading this stuff. I could actually write something yeah. that might connect me with this idea of an audience, this reader thing out there. And these are all very rudimentary thoughts, but Mm -hmm. I wrote a description of a sunset on our Mm -hmm. farm. Mm. And I remember I went, took this tattered piece of paper out to my mother and she is working like a dog out at the well pit. Uh, She's filling jugs, planning, doing something. Mm -hmm. And we're outside, the wind is blowing. I can still feel it when she takes that piece of paper from me and she sort she sort of reads it Mm -hmm. and her hands are dirty Mm -hmm. and She's, she looks up at me and she says, do you like this? Hmm. You like to do this? Mm-hmm. And it was a such a direct question. There was surprise in her voice, but there was also this recognition of, oh, for me, yeah. maybe, maybe this is my thing. Maybe yeah. this is where I'm different. And so that was, you know, very early beginnings. I was not a particularly good student mm-hmm. and it wasn't, this is, so you just got part one. Here's quick part two. (laughs) Yes, please. Part two comes, I became a teacher. I loved reading. I loved language. So that was an inevitable thing. But as I began teaching, Mm -hmm. I realized that the courses I loved Mm -hmm. were the creative courses. Okay. They were the creative writing courses, or they were the essay courses where Mm -hmm. there was some flexibility in the curriculum. And I was doing work right alongside those kids And when my first marriage, my practice marriage um, kind of fell apart, that's a time I think for so many women, but also for men, when you do a reassessment. And absolutely, I I said, and that was in my early thirties. And I said, what is it that I really, really want? What is it that I love? I can't give up teaching. That's, that's the hardcore day job. I do. And I, and I loved it, but what is it that's, I'm longing for. And it was, it came right back. I wanted to write. I, I mean, I really wanted to write. And I had had, though I had an astute sense of reading and literature and appreciation for that, 
the actual craft of writing was new and I had not practiced it deeply. Hmm. So beyond, I began beyond my little journaling efforts and my little practice things with the kids, with my students, I started taking classes, going to workshops, attending conferences, seeking mentors, and I had good luck with that. I I was, but still, you know, I was in my early 30s. It took me 10 years to write that first book and 10 years to get it published. So it was a long journey. Yeah. And we're going to get to that too, that whole, the whole path I want to hear a lot about, but I love that all, all that you're talking about, because, you know, the sense of, you know, what is it that I love? What is it that I'm called to do? What Mm -hmm. am I longing for? I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's such a joy when we can ask those questions and then look for the answers. And especially women, at least from our generation, you know, we weren't really encouraged, I think, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but to do that, you know, like for me, it was, Hey, I'll pay for law school, you know, but, but what are you doing with an MFA? Like, come on. And, and I just remember saying to my dad, well, it's like a quarter of the price. So come on, you know, like, <laughs> it's what I love. Bath, dad. Yeah. But of course, I understand his, his thinking, you know, well, what's a degree in poetry going to get you? But a law degree, you'll make money. And so I understand the, the practical desire, you know, to, to protect your child and to say, you know, I just want you to be okay. But I think that, you know, this, the freedom to decide I'm going to go in pursuit of what really speaks to me, what really drives me mm-hmm. is such a beautiful thing. And and I've talked Thank with you. other writers who just, they say, I can't not write. I just, I can't, right. you know, right. I mean, right. is that exactly, same for you? exactly where I was in that moment in my early thirties that I couldn't think of anything else mm-hmm. that would bring me joy. And this is coming out of, and I think so often this happens, this is coming out of a sense of failure, mm. you know, that this had not, this marriage had not worked out that, yeah. that um, the, the creativity I'd placed in the hope I'd placed in it was not, was not going to fulfill me. Yeah. And so it was up to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another moment for women often to realize, oh, this is up to me. I have to create the circumstances under which this will grow. Yeah. And and that you're responsible for your own happiness. Yes. And, yeah. and your own that's success. A big one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Smart wow. words. Really powerful. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about your writing, which I love to read. I just, you you know, I've followed you for a million years because I first, you know, met you sort of, so to speak at Goddard when you were finishing and I was starting. And so I was like, Oh my God, she's so great. And I know you probably didn't even notice me, but I remembered a reading that you gave it. I think it was at the graduation when you left. And, mm-hmm. and it just really struck me because I was so new at exploring this and having the freedom to, to really step into my writer's shoes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, hearing, I think it was an essay about your mother. And then of course yes. to read, the book that just came out, which I would love for you to, you know, talk about a little bit about your mother. It was just, you know, I, I feel like, oh my gosh, I, I started to hear a little bit about this voice so many years ago, and now I'm holding the book in my hand. So maybe <laughs> start by telling me a little bit about the story of this book and the whole process and and that whole journey. Thank you. Wow. Beautiful question. My mother and I were not close friends, unfortunately. We were you know, this can happen in families. And and as I've shared the book with people, more and more people have come forward to confirm my impulse on this, that even though you can come from a really good, loving family with good practices of communication, you can have personalities that are opposite to each other 
and that are just going to be in conflict no matter how you approach it. And that was the case for my mother and me. We were just at loggerheads almost from the beginning. She tried very hard to be a good mother, but I pushed against her a lot. And she had a, an, an immense amount of personal strength. And so we were often not close. Yeah. And through our lives, that became real problem for both of us. I think we kept trying, but we were not, we were, we were not yeah. good friends, yeah. which is really sad. When my father died in 2010, we began to realize what often happens in couples, older couples, is that one is masking the frailty of the yeah. other. Yeah. And I know we may all be there someday, but in this particular case, we realized my mom was in early stages of dementia oh. and we were going to have to step up. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. that to me was a real crossroads mm -hmm. because I thought, well, can I get away with doing just what I have to do not to be neglectful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. I love the honesty. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Know? And within short order, I realized that was not going to work. Yeah. That this was going to have to be full on investment. My sisters and I were going to have to get on board and we were going to a lot of communication that we had to work through. And so in the process of losing my mother to dementia and to this aging process, we became friends. The vulnerability in her, well, some of it. She forgot some of the things we had done to each other. <laughs> but the other thing was the vulnerability softened her her sense of criticalness and, and her uh, sense of strength and authority. And that was really an opening for me. And I guess me seeing, finally seeing her vulnerability and coming in contact with this person who was different from my judgment of her began a journey that lasted 10 years and has been a rethinking almost entirely of my whole life. Really? So, tell me more about that. Well, when I had to face my own, and this is happening through the writing because yes. I started writing this September of 2014, I realized what was happening Mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to record it. And so I was journaling more than I have about any of my other books. Mm -hmm. So I was journaling, I was writing incidents, I was recording dialogue as I remembered it almost as soon as I would get home from her visit. I realized that this, this journey was taking me inward in a way that I had walled off. Hmm. Wow. And the writing itself, writing down what I saw, just as I saw it, mm. opened doors for me because suddenly I wasn't reacting anymore. Mm -hmm. I was recording. And this that may be a nuanced difference, but the mm -hmm. just the recording of what happened and recalling was a way that I could open myself without judgment finally. Mm. Yeah. Just trying to get it down. This is what she said. This is what I said. This is what the nurses said. This is mm. what it looked like. Mm. And that sense of simply making the observations allowed me to separate myself from little by little. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't immediate, but little by little from the past, very set responses that I had mm -hmm. developed to protect myself from her. Yeah. Yeah. She, as I said, was forgetting things. Mm -hmm. So there was one moment when I, you know, I would try to help her remember things and she would say things back to me 
And she said, oh, you're the one who remembers things. Hmm. And I realized that I had almost full control over what she was remembering. Mm -hmm. And that was such an insight to think about, oh, I can rethink these for her too. Hmm. These memories that were so hurtful. And it was an odd kind of authority given by this loss of memory. Mm-hmm. that then transposed into the opportunity for forgiveness. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So, it's, you know, I mean, I loved reading. I loved reading the book for, for as long as I know you, right? Yeah, as long as I know as you. As long as I know and you. The subtitle is The Mom Book. Yes, <laughs> and it's such a beautiful title. And I know, you know, what the reference is because I read the essays. It's really poignant. And something that you said just really struck me. You know, my, my background is journalism. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, came to creative was always there. And I do feel like I bring some interviewing skills and noticing those Mm -hmm. details from my journalism days, which for my poetry is really powerful because it's those exact details that just paint the picture. What you're saying is really brilliant because it's, it's really like in probably you teach this as well. And I teach this in my writing classes that show the scene, don't interpret it for your reader, but just just show the scene. And that's really what you were doing. I mean, you were you were recording all the fodder for future stories. I mean, maybe you didn't know at the time mm-hmm. what you would turn them into, but but having that raw material, I feel makes the writing so much richer when you do figure out how you're going to use it and what what yes. a treasure that is. That's yeah. and that's such a a, a smart connection to what I think of as really good journalism that yeah. there is no or there's Maybe you can't completely eliminate judgment, but there is very little. You try to tamp it down so that what you're creating is an objectivity that we can trust. And then when I went back to those, those recordings, those journal entries and all those little mini chapters, Mm -hmm. I, then I found, oh, here's how I can not make, but remake meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can transform that old sensibility by surrounding this moment, this these incidents and these dialogues with the awareness, the memoirists, of course, that the memoirist yeah. has that awareness, the double vision of the memoirist is that yeah. what happened then. And then you bring in that kind of microscopic vision of or telescopic vision, rather, of mm-hmm. what it what it means now, yeah. how how we understand it now. And I think that's. You know, that whole book was probably life therapy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I can't I can't tell you how many writing classes I've taught where somebody cries and I understand oh, sure. it because you're you're just allowing yourself to dig deep and be vulnerable and and trusting the world with these stories that maybe you'd never wanted to share. And it's a scary thing. It really yes. is. Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. And that vulnerability, when it comes to the page, through those details that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, which I think is so essential, the very deeply personal de- detail, yeah. those explode with universality. Yes. You know, they, yes. they just open right up. You know, it's all kindred with what you're saying. When we remove the judgment, even for a little while, if we can just suspend our, our narratives mm-hmm. of ourselves or or our relationships long enough to just look objectively, then I think we have clues as to how to transform. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, obviously, you know, these were stories that 
you were curious about, you wanted to remember these memories. I, I don't know if you had the vision that you'd write this book when you started recording all the details, but how do you normally come to your topics, to your subject matter? Is it just sort of you notice things around you or there are relationships you want to understand? Or or do you do you have a vision for sort of your body of work that is about certain things? Tell me about that. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I find that new ideas often come from other writers, readers, generative experiences. Travel is huge mm-hmm. for me. I, 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 We just returned from travels in Latin America where we do some volunteer work mm-hmm. and I have raw drafts of three new essays. And oh, nice. it, it's that heightened state of receptivity and awareness that you have to be in when you travel mm-hmm. that I think starts to generate new thinking and new ideas. One line in a poem that will stay with me. And I'll start with copying that line down. Eventually that line dissolves, but it became, it becomes a, a kind of like shampoo, you know, (laughs) the shampoo goes away, but the bubbles keep coming and coming. And those, those ideas grow from some image that I think, I I don't know deep brain science in any way, but I think it has to be an image that has multiple sensory associations with it Mm, and also an emotional association with it so that the brain is really gnawing at it in order for that to become a starter. So that's just one of the ways that I I begin. Mm -hmm. And then I go back to my journal a lot because mm-hmm. I'm I'm always right there and I'm going, okay, what why did this incident mm-hmm. stay with me? Yeah. Why is yeah. this the incident that I wrote about that day and not three others? Right. And so often there's something little embedded in that that has a launch point yeah. in it. Yeah. So those are ways that I begin. Mm-hmm. In terms of process, I I like to write in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, that, that's the fresh time. Often I'll write almost immediately as soon as I have a cup of coffee in my hand for, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Okay. And I'll get up and get dressed and mm-hmm. do that. And then I go back mm-hmm. sometimes an hour later mm-hmm. and start again. And that's the rich time, like two or three hours, usually mm-hmm. not more than that. Mm-hmm. I've learned the hard way. If I push too hard in one day, I'll yeah. be too tired the next day. It's really a brain power thing. And oh, that yeah. muscle gets tired, especially yeah. as I get older. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, that two or three hours of rich work. And then I have to have a break, mm-hmm. exercise, walk, mm-hmm. catch up, do stuff. And sometimes in the afternoons, I can come back and revise now that mm-hmm. I have the flexibility to do that. Mm-hmm. I used to work also late at night and I can't do that anymore. I can't imagine that, you know, both ends of the candle. It's just, oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, there was a time, but now not, yeah. not so much. Yeah. Does that answer the question? It does. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And I know that you straddle genres and I love that about you. Mm-hmm. I love, I tend to, I think, uh, to gravitate toward writers who are so versatile in that way that, because I do the same and it's just really fun mm-hmm. to, to experiment with all different I guess, structures for writing. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about, you know, what, about the various forms of writing attract you and how do you choose which story goes into which format or which genre? Sure. I think I'm going to hearken to, what is it? Big Magic. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've read that book about the ideas know what they want. 
Okay. And I really feel like when an idea starts to generate and starts Mm -hmm. to perk, you know, the first Mm -hmm. go-to is the journal, you know, just let's, what have I got here? Is this something I'm going to follow through or not? But often I'm waiting to hear if it's a personal essay, if it's a poem, if it's a vignette, if it's Mm -hmm. flash, Mm -hmm. if it's fiction, I don't write in very often, but when I do, it's real clear that that's what it belongs to. Mm -hmm. If it's a, if it's a play or a script of some sort, Mm-hmm. That I'm waiting. I'm kind of waiting for that. Very often, I will do an early draft in poem form mm, okay. as a placeholder. Okay, knowing that even though I'm playing with lines and metaphors, and I'm really trying to dive into the language, I am not going to s- probably stay there. Okay, I just finished a long piece uh, about our experience in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And I'm already pretty sure that's a short essay and okay. not a short travel essay and not a poem, although mm-hmm. it has the poetic elements that I like. <laughs> Which makes so, it a beautiful essay. So that's great. I hope so. Yeah. I, hope, yeah. I, hope, I hope it does that. And then here's the other thing about it. I have to hop genres because um, I get blocked really easily or distracted really easily, mm-hmm. but mostly blocked. And the way I can break it fast is to switch genres. So if I'm writing a poem and I'm stuck and I'm blocked and I sit down and I move into an entirely different piece of revision, like an essay Mm -hmm. or a piece of dialogue or, you know, a little flash something or other. Yeah. Very often when I go back to that piece, Mm -hmm. whatever was blocking is has died down. Yeah. And, and it's letting it, it opens up again. And I find a way to enter into that, that is satisfying and takes the next step. I love that. So it's the real practical thing too. Let's just, let's just go to another genre. If you write a letter instead of, instead of angsting over a single line, Uh then all of a sudden there's another audience there. There's Mm -hmm. another there's a singular voice and you can, you're using all these other skills. And I think the brain rests maybe a little bit sure, or it goes subversive maybe and says, okay, while you're doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this for you. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So I know that you've said that your first book came out when you were 53 and Mm -hmm. I love that detail. And so I want to hear about your various publishing paths, like how you have found homes for your work. So both books and essays or poems or whatever. So take me through your publishing journeys. Oh, thank you. I started, of course, with individual submissions, mostly to poetry magazines. Okay. And the first um, you know, that just here and there back in my early thirties, I'd have the success of, mm-hmm. you know, a little piece here and a little piece in these small, and that was back when everything was hard copy. Okay. You know, and so you, in, in the mail, like, you know, with your, yeah, right. you know, I, I used to have index cards to keep everything yes, straight before exactly, the, you know, exactly. and like the stamps and the, this, the self-addressed stamped envelope. Oh my God. It was such an ordeal, right? Yes, it was. It was such <laughs> yes, an ordeal. Yes. And if you forgot the stamps, then, you know, oh, anyway. you'd never hear it's like out of the ether. It was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then those little Rolodexes that you had the list of where you'd yeah. send it when it came back. And if you yep. didn't keep that track, track of that, you'd get confused. Anyway, yes. <laughs> I'm really glad those those days are done. Same. But I was writing Traverse Magazine back mm-hmm. then had mm-hmm. a back page that had big, beautiful photographs. And I offered to write a haiku okay. for those. So that was the first sort of real publication. 
Nice. And, you know, that had a larger audience as these little haikus. I probably only did that for maybe a year for them. But when they stopped doing that, I said, well, can I write something else? And they said, well, we have these up north mm-hmm. columns mm-hmm. and they were 750 words mm-hmm. and they wanted them to be deeply personal and but about Michigan, yeah. about usually about up north in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I started writing those. Mm-hmm. and. It turns out those were my first sort of forays into the essay, into the personal essay. Okay. And, excuse me, I found that they were ways that I could write longer, practicing the sentence more deeply. I could talk about my family. Through that, I began to realize that, oh, there's an essayist living in here somewhere (laughs) who kind of likes to have a free flow of language in a way that poetry doesn't always support. Yeah. Yeah. So then there was these there were these two sort of uh, viable mistresses running around inside <laughs> of my heart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh so I began writing those essays. And what's interesting is the book that will come out this fall, it's called The Long Fields, is mm-hmm. a retrospective. It, I'm old enough to have that. <laughs> um, it collects all of those essays I wrote for Traverse Magazine, Glen Arbor Sun, Michigan Humanities Council, all those little projects with mm-hmm. that were all relatively short. Okay. Into one volume, which is That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Really I had no idea that was coming out. I thought yeah. that so you're yeah. like book upon book upon book. I love this. <laughs> yeah. But the that first journey was really tough. It took me 10 years to write Pulling Down the Barn. That okay. was the very first one. Okay. And then I started circulating it and it just got rejection after rejection. And this is where I I say often, I'm not a particularly brilliant person, but I am very tenacious. I know that about myself. (laughs) Okay. And I just kept trying. I'd get feedback and I'd adjust with Mm -hmm. every, every time the feedback would come, I would, I would say, okay, if this rings true to me, I'm going to make the adjustment. I'm going to take out this chapter. I'll do whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And gradually that also improved the manuscript, created more interlocking themes among the pieces that weren't there before. Hmm. And finally, my friend, Michael Delp at Interlochen said, I've been in touch with the new acquisitions editor at Wayne State University Press. Okay. I know you've tried there before and you were rejected. Why don't you try again and just see? Okay. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And she responded relatively quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Annie Martin, I don't know people out I know there the who name. know, yeah. know yeah. her name. Uh-huh. And uh, she was very complimentary. Mm-hmm. She loved this, the, the rural, which would become part of my brand, this idea of working with the rural culture and mm-hmm. celebrating the rural culture. Mm-hmm. And she said, can you do a couple things and then I'm going to send it out for internal reviews, which is a right. pattern. That's how yeah. university presses often. Do. I think many independent yeah. presses do yeah. it. We'll see what happens. And so I did exactly what she said. Mm-hmm. She sent it out. And uh, as I said, this was my second attempt with them. Yes. And the reviews came back positively. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was the beginning. Fantastic. And, and that book won um, a Michigan notable book award, which was Great. just, just floored me. Yeah, I had. I didn't even know what that award was, you know. Uh-huh. Fantastic. <laughs> it, it's yeah. the you know when it comes through. 
but I was 53. I wasn't starry eyed. Yes. I knew the work. I knew, I knew what it meant. And I knew if I was going to keep going, I would have to keep going. I feel like most authors that I meet, their first book comes out much later than we think. Like it's the rare writer whose first book comes out at 22 or, you know, 28 even, you know, like I think, I think it's much more common that it's forties, fifties, sixties. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just that they've worked on their craft or they're saying enough, I'm really taking this seriously now or, but I do think a lot of writers really get their, get their groove in midlife. I do. I do too. I feel like I didn't, I needed the training first of Mm -hmm. all, which I think people overlook. Yeah. I remember students saying to me, well, I don't want to read a lot because I don't want anything to ruin my voice. I'm going, okay. Oh, darling. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my. You don't okay. really have a voice yet. <laughs> yes. You need to live a little bit, you know. Yes. And I don't mean to discount no, their no. experiences or their lives in any way because yeah. there are plenty of young people who have a voice. But it just felt a little pretentious to me oh, yeah. knowing that we how hard writers work to create the beautiful sentence or to create the sentence that has a rhythm that is a voice to think you are just, you just have that. Felt, um, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's, that was something I learned at Goddard was that mm. you have to read the heck out of the world and just, and what happened to me, I don't know if this happened to you, but unconsciously I was trying, I was imitating to try to learn what they were doing on the page. And at first, when I realized that I was horrified, I'm like, am I plagiarizing? Oh my gosh. But then I realized that is a necessary step that you have to go through before you get to your voice. Exactly. Oh, that's, and that is so smart. You know, if you, if you can replicate the syntax of a sentence of somebody you admire, then you start to take apart its, its innards, you know, and you start to see, oh, there is a downbeat here, or there's, this is how these verbs are being used, or this is the language of color, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever it is, then you, you can take it in. Yeah. And then it becomes a tool. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and only when, only when you've done that, can you then, you know, evolve into your own voice. And I just remember one day I was doing it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't have, I couldn't have made it happen. I had to go through the process. Right. So, right. And that's just that part is, of that is so there's yeah. a there's a reason you're a brilliant coach. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, you have to grow up as a writer, I guess. And that's the way you do it. Right. You know, yeah. just like you do as a kid. I mean, you, you you look at all the adults around you and you decide what you like and what you don't. Mm-hmm. So you can make those decisions unconsciously, of course. Mm-hmm. So I want to pivot a little bit because one of the things um, is a new joy for me is that we get to work together on the board of Michigan Writers. I know. And um, but you know so much more than I do about the organization's inception and purpose. And so I would love to hear, have you talk a little bit about Michigan Writers so our listeners can can join us and learn about this wonderful organization. So tell oh. me a little bit about how it came to be and how you were involved with it. Well, thank you for asking that. Michigan Writers, it's a nonprofit organization. It's a, It's statewide, though, most of our in-person events end up happening in the northern end, the northern part of the state. Yeah. So we are, I guess I would call us a literary collection of folks who have come together to build community and to serve writers 
by offering our publishing opportunities and connections with each other. Mm-hmm. And we sponsor free workshops, lots of writing opportunities. We try to offer at least one thing a month, sometimes two or three. Mm-hmm. We sponsor the Dunes Review, mm-hmm. which is now in its 28th year, I think, 28th or 29th year, a chapbook contest for new writers, developing writers. The chapbook is often that that Mm -hmm. gateway book or that gateway publication to a larger publication. Mm -hmm. And then other kinds of activities. We just started an open window, Mm -hmm. which is a free writing uh, hour once a month. It's all intended to serve a community of literary thinkers. Mm-hmm. We were founded over 20 years ago now. And one of the first impulses was that we would be kind of a clearinghouse for submission opportunities. Writers, mm-hmm. at that time, there was nothing like a submittable or yeah. Yeah. duotrope or any of those things that we all turn to yeah. Like without thinking about anymore. <laughs> yeah. And we thought, but very quickly, it became clear that it would be a service and community that we would be building yeah. for literary people, both readers and writers. Yeah. So I was involved with the board and was actually president for a while in the first decade. And then when my teaching career took off with Interlochen and I had to kind of choose, I had been chair. And then I have an op- had the opportunity actually to teach for an MFA program. And mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't do everything. So I stepped away for mm-hmm. about a decade and have just recently returned. And so I'm thrilled that the organization is holding yeah. and it continues to serve. The newsletter continues to grow. There's so many opportunities there. And now we have a a great membership guru and we have you <laughs> yes, doing yay. fabulous social media. So trying. So I yes. really thank you. Oh, well, thanks for the opportunity. And I, I just want to spread the word and let people know this is a wonderful resource and community and and I just want to see it grow and grow. There's I'm sure so many people we could be pulling in. So that's thank fabulous. you. Thanks for letting me talk about it. It's a wonderful yeah. organization, I think. And yeah. I'm I'm honored that you're part of it and that we can do this work. Thank you. Yes. So back to you. What is on your writing horizon now? What are you working on at this moment? Well, I'm doing a lot of marketing right now for As Long As I Know You, the mom Mm -hmm. book, because of course, um, it won the AWP Nonfiction Award. So I'm going to AWP in a little bit. Congratulations. That's so great. Thank you. And that's been really a pleasure. Nursing that into the connections with its audience, which is, that's, that's our job too. We think we're done with the writing, but that's not the case. No, no. We need, we need our, our connections. Yeah. And then uh, in the fall, the, the long fields will come out this retrospective and I'll be focusing Mm -hmm. on that for a little while. But in terms of new work, there are uh, a bunch of things, but I have a manuscript. I should say we have a manuscript under consideration. It's my first hybrid attempt. Oh. And I worked with the um, award-winning photographer, Taro Yamasaki, wow. who happens to live in our county, and we have mm-hmm. become friends. 
And I am responding to his photographs. He has particularly powerful photographs taken over the last 40 years Mm. from children of war in Romania through to sex trafficking happening in this decade. Wow. And these photographs are, I ended up writing, fonding in poetry Mm -hmm. to these photographs Mm -hmm. and then went back and showed him what I was doing and And he was really um, intrigued. And then I learned, I got the oral histories of the photographs themselves. And and he was very generous, amazingly generous that way. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, we incorporated those into the manuscript and we began, it became a collaboration that I just, it's such a gift. I never anticipated it. And so that manuscript, it's called Unguarded Moments, which is- part of what he discusses when he discusses his philosophy of of photography, of capturing Mm -hmm. that, even though if a photograph may be incredibly artfully designed, Mm -hmm. it has to feel that you're looking at an unguarded moment, Mm. which he does with, especially with the Children of War series. Yeah. And so that project is now coming to fruition, I hope. So cross your fingers on that one, send good vibes. Okay. Because it would be one of the future, I'm just going to say this outright, one of the future things that are happening with writing with young writers right now is there's mm-hmm. so much more hybrid work, yeah, multi-genre, collaborative genres. This is stuff you remember we were talking about back at Goddard. Yeah. There yeah. was not much of a channel for it then. Right, right. Now with video essays and yeah. docu-poetics and all of this is, that's not the problem anymore. Right. Now it's the problem of what what are the conventions of it and how are we going to magnify the meanings that can come out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So well, That's very exciting. So lots yeah, on the horizon, which is awesome. So I always like to finish our conversations by asking about any advice you might offer to listeners who are eager to build their writing careers. So what would you have to say? I, I'm going to go back from, this is just me personally. I don't think this is anything that is terribly highly insightful or fresh, but just the tenacity aspect Uh that you just continue to believe in yourself Mm -hmm. to the degree you can take small, small steps, which is what I did all those years, you know, like you, Mm -hmm. my parents said, you know, you have to have something to fall back on. Right. And, and I don't know if that was a mistake or not. It was the way I lived my life because that's what they said to do. So I feel pretty strongly that tenacity and those small steps are really part of the whole, the whole thing that we have to do to keep going. Yeah. And then I think this old adage about reading, reading a lot is important to building a career because you have to know what's out there. Yes. You, you you have to be aware of, oh, these things are trending right now. This is happening in memoir. This is happening in fiction. Here's, oh, how, and, and being creative as you read those, not being envious or jealous or anything, right, right. just being creative with that information going, okay, if this is getting interest right now, then how might I play with that yeah. in such a way that it helps me connect with my reader? Does that No, I love that. I do. And I I think, yeah, that curiosity, I I like that you're saying not being envious or jealous, because I really believe there's enough to go around. And and the the tenacity is really just, I'm going to keep going until I I hit success. 
and mm-hmm. not being discouraged when when you get turned down because you will get turned down and Absolutely. it may have nothing to do with you at all. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's brilliant advice and I really appreciate it. And Thank you. and the little the little steps. I think we yeah. have to really be proud of the little steps that you take. You know, if you can write for a half an hour every Saturday. Yeah. That's a half an hour every yes. Saturday. Yeah. You know, and and you know, if you're raising a family and still dreaming about this, you know, stealing that 15 minutes between naps yep. or during naps, whatever it takes, I think yeah. that that's where you find that's where you feed your soul. Yes. You know? Yes. Perfect. Perfect way to end. So Anne-Marie Oman, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. And Lynn, thank you for all the work that you do and all the teaching you do and the inspiring inspiration that you offer to people. Thank you for that. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.